City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to a somber edition of Inside the Hive on the All Hornets Podcast Network. One podcast feed with multiple shows making we cover the very sad Charlotte Hornets from every single angle. If for some reason you want to hear more, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review. And uh, despite the Hornets being a borderline NBA team, they are part of the NBA podcast crew and the Fans First Sports Podcast group. Um, Today's show, we're going to hit on some news items here. Um, just to start, a little bit uh, NBA player of the week, a little bit of Miles Bridges. Then we're going to go on to hot or cold, where me and Chase are going to be talking about a couple of things each of things that we like and haven't liked so far into the season. Um, and that'll pretty much do us for the show. So, Chase, uh, welcome in. How have you been doing? Uh, personally, I've been doing well. Uh, my basketball watching life has not been great over the last couple of weeks, as I can imagine many of the listeners and any person that has tuned into Charlotte Hornets basketball since opening night uh, shares that same feeling. But uh, as a in, as an individual myself, I, I'm doing very well, James. How about you? Yeah, I'm doing well. Um, yeah, who would have thought the opening night against Atlanta Hawks would be like the high point of the first two weeks of the NBA season? Um, look, we're not going to be somber. We, we, you know, we joked we're going to be somber a little bit at the start. We're not going to be somber all the way through today. Um, we're going to try and look at some of the good stuff as well. Um, but firstly, we're just talking about this off air. Uh, NBA Player of the Week has just been uh, announced. Uh, and I actually tweeted out earlier in the day that Lamella Ball should at least be considered. I didn't think he would win. Uh, but I at least thought he would be considered to be one of the uh, one of the players um, because he's had a fantastic week, uh, you know, doing absolutely everything. Um, Joe Embiid won. Perfectly fine with that. A perfectly respectable week. He scored like what 36 points. The other nominees in the East, Bam Adebayo, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Tyrese Halliburton, Miles Turner, Karis LeVert, Tyrese Maxey, and Mark Williams. I mean, congrats, Mark Williams, by the way. We like no, mm-hmm. this is such a Hornets fan base thing. It's like everyone's angry at NBA PR, even though one of their players has been nominated for player of the week, who's the second year player. But what the hell, Chase? Where is the Mellow Ball from that list? Is, is he is he ineligible for this award? I, you would think that, you know, three 30-point games would qualify you for this award if it was something that you were eligible for. So maybe he isn't. Maybe he, you know, he wronged somebody in the communications department or just someone in a voter or something like that. And he's just exempt from all Player of the Week awards because I don't Who know votes? what he would have done wrong Who this votes, week. Though? Which, which, that, I mean, that's a good point. I, I think say, it's like, got to just be a collection of national media members or something like that. But I mean, which actually would kind of make sense as to why he wasn't nominated. But then again, would. Mark Williams was nominated playing on the Hornets as well, which you would also assume that the national media were not watching Mark Williams, especially if they weren't watching Lamelo. So it, but, it really doesn't add up to me in any way. 
the difference is, and, and this is, again, it comes down to who votes, is that the NBA PR's department, is it national? I don't even know. But let's be honest, Lamella Ball is not a good interview. Let's just say it, right? He, he's, we talk about him. We're going to talk about him this episode being incredible. This, the stretch he's run, it's pretty historic for him. He's, I'd arguably say, probably the worst interview in the league because he gives zero answers. His answer either says, I've got to watch the film. It's just basketball, really. Or he says, no, not really. And he moves on to the next question. And, and that is basically 80% of his answers to everything. And, and maybe that's just why, right? Like these NBA PR, media, people don't warm to him. Because the fact that Karis LeVert, Chase, for the week, Karis LeVert, 19.7 uh, points, five rebounds, three assists, two steals. He shot 25% from three and 47% from the field. Like, look, a perfectly good week for Karis LeVert. But the Mellow Ball, 30 points, seven rebounds, eight assists, 55% from the field, 46% from three. I don't understand how that is not nominated ahead of the Cleveland Cavaliers. And at this point, is it because the Charlotte Hornets couldn't have two players from one team? And if at this point we're just looking to nominate people from other teams because, well, let's give Cleveland. Cleveland haven't got a guy nominated. Let's give him one. Like, what, what are we doing? Let's just give participation trophies out to everyone in the NBA at this rate. They can just shuffle through every player in the league. That would be a good way to keep everyone happy. Just... Everybody just signs up for the week that they want to win player of the week at the beginning of the yeah. year. And then you get the trophy mailed to your apartment, like, you know, mid-January or something. And so that'd be like a nice surprise from back a couple months ago. I'd be like, oh, yeah, I signed up to be player of the week. Now, we might be on to something here. Mark can get it this week. LaMelo can get it the week after that. Miles Bridges like the that. week after that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Maybe not. Um, yeah, I'm just... Like, even in the midst of all the terrible stuff, like, at least give Lamella Ball the credit he deserves. He was fantastic against the New York Knicks. He had no help whatsoever. He was fantastic against the Wizards, led them to win the second one of those games. Um, you know, we talked about judging him after 10 games and not overreacting early. And I'm, this is why we don't react. We said, wait until 10 games, then we start to worry. This is why we don't jump in two feet to these overreaction things, because you look and two weeks later, so it's a very different story. Um, other piece of news today, Miles Bridges uh, was due in court this morning as we're recording on, on Monday. Um, we didn't get much of an update other than essentially that his case has been continued until um, the 20th of February, 2024 per court documents. What that basically means, we have no clarity on what that situation, what happened in the situation, but what it does mean is Miles Bridges is going to be available on Friday against Milwaukee Bucks. And he's going to be back. And Steve Clifford said the other day, he's going to play a major role. Um, I'm not going to ask if you're excited to have Miles Bridges back. I think that's the wrong question to ask. Um, how important do you think for this team will it be to get Miles Bridges back? And do you think he comes straight back into the starting unit? Steve Clifford said major role. That's what he said after the Knicks game. Does major role mean start? Does major role just mean he's playing 30-something minutes straight from off the bat? I think it probably means that he will just play a lot of minutes right off the bat, maybe get eased in off the bench. But, I mean, P.J. Washington hasn't necessarily been producing well enough to warrant keeping Miles Bridges on the bench if he comes in, plays that significant role that Clifford expects him to play, and plays well in that role. It might not take very long for him to work back into the lineup. But, I mean, I do think P.J., probably has earned enough good graces with Clifford in the front office to maintain that starting spot, even if he had a bit of a rough stretch to start the season in these first 10 games or so. But I mean, yeah, it, it, he's Clifford's coming out, you know, a week before he was back saying he's going to play a significant role. Uh, he was a starter, obviously, in the year before he you know, ended up getting kicked out of the NBA after being arrested for felony charges. I don't see why he's not going to come back and be a starter eventually, as, as long as you know, this year and a half off from basketball hasn't zapped all of his skills and athleticism away, which I kind of doubt. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me at all if it happens maybe by like December or so. I But that first couple games is probably going to be a get your feet wet type of situation. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I mean, he said the same thing about Brandon Miller having a, a major role from day one and he was coming off the bench. And with Brandon Miller had his ankle injury against the New York Knicks, his availability is in question going forward. Um, Cleveland Stiffen said he thinks it's going to be day-to-day. 
Um, you know, the fact that he tried to come back in the game, even though he had to leave, is, is a positive-ish sign. Um, but, uh, you know, even if he does come back, he's not going to be 100%. Um, yeah, but I think Miles Bridges will probably be off the bench to start. But like you said, like what PJ Washington the game, we, we literally said on last week's episode, is this consistent PJ Washington? This is the thing we've been missing. Um, and then I remember I said, maybe it's too early to say it's consistent PJ Washington yet because it's only been six games. And you look at his last three games since we last spoke. He is uh, at 10 points, six rebounds. He's shooting 6% from three and 29% from the field. Um, and has just really struggled out there on the offensive end, not been able to get anything to really sink on a consistent basis. So now it kind of feels like we had that hot start and we're back to inconsistent PJ. And classic, as soon as Lamella Ball started playing better, PJ Washington has gone off the boil. And it kind of feels like that for the last few years with Charlotte Hornets. It's like whenever someone plays well, someone else has a bad night and no one ever, ever seems to be clicking at the same time. Um, so it is continually frustrating to see. But Miles Bridges is coming back. He's going to play against Milwaukee Bucks. What are you expecting to see out of Miles? What What are you thinking, like, in your world of possibilities, what do you think is most likely here? See, right now, I think the only way that he's going to be, like, super productive, I think, out of the gate is if he plays, is, like, tethered to LaMelo and plays most of his minutes alongside him because from what we remember about Miles two years ago, he had gotten a little bit better as a playmaker. I can't remember last creator. week. Never mind two years ago. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> it's that like, feels like a yeah. lifetime ago at this point. Wow. But um, I saw I saw Israel, uh, All Hornets contributor and writer, post that it had been like I think it was five hundred and sixty something days since the play-in game against the Hawks was obviously Miles's last game. So quite a bit of time off here. I'd be surprised if he's like, you know an excellent shot creator or something right off of the bat, just because that is definitely something that requires a lot of rhythm and confidence and just comfort to be able to do like on the court at a consistent, efficient rate. But I mean, I definitely think he'll play well off of Lamelo just because a, a lot of people do, it's a pretty easy thing to do when you have somebody that's that good of a passer uh, and B the chemistry that they had built seems to, you know, po probably still be there at least from a off court perspective. So I don't mm. think it'll take too long to get the on-court chemistry back going either. But as we'll talk about later in the episode, there is not much playmaking outside of LaMelo to kind of set him up, which is going to be rough because even back a couple of years ago when he was developing as a scorer and playmaker, he wasn't very much above average, if at all, at either of those things. So yeah, it'll be interesting. Well, I think, I, I imagine you're probably going to see someone where the the shot will probably little look a little bit rust, rusty, especially like contested shots. What I'm expecting is someone who comes in like with a bunch of energy, right? And like he has been bottled up for so long, not being able to play basketball. He's been watching all his games. And I imagine he's probably going to come in, you'd hope, right? With a, I need to, you know, just try harder than everyone else. I've been waiting for this moment. And you're going to have just like Duracell Bunny. I don't even know if that reference works in America. Does it, do you know what no, Duracell that, Bunny that, is? That yeah? place, yeah. Okay, no, heard, good. Yeah, no, it that, that place. Everybody it should get that's it. good. Um, yeah, that's what I'm expecting to see from him. And and like you say, with some inefficiency generally around the board. Um, but he's going to make his debut at home against Milwaukee. What sort of reception do you think he'll get from Spectrum Center? This is something I was just thinking about. Is, is it like there's going to be a reception, a notable reception when they read out his name? Is it going to be one met with cheer, booze, a mixture of the two? What do you think is the overriding feeling in this in the uh, arena? Yeah, that is a great question. I think yeah. from so I think you could probably got to split it up a couple different ways. The in arena reception, I actually I'm really not sure like whether that's gonna it probably is gonna be a pretty even mix. I think mm -hmm. of you know. Like, hey, welcome back, like clapping, you know, second chance, redemption, rah-rah, like all that stuff. And then the people that are, you know, probably upset that there seems to be a lack of accountability that has been displayed so far. Online, I think from a national perspective, the reaction is going to be overwhelmingly negative, like almost yeah. universally negative. Uh, and then from a Hornets fan perspective online, it seems to be like a lot of people are like, 
oh, let's put this behind us. We need to get him back. We need to start winning games, which, you know, if you don't think about anything in terms of other than like a win-loss on-court basketball perspective, I guess that makes sense. But that's not necessarily how I view things. So it's a, it's going to be a very mixed response, I think, in arena especially. But I, we the Hornets as a whole, like from a national perspective, are not going to be looked upon kindly on Friday evening. That I can be certain of. If there is a video of Miles Bridges being introduced with rapturous applause and cheering, that is going to yep. go viral yep. nationally. And Charlotte Hornets fans and anyone well, who follows the franchise are going to be painted yes. by everyone going, who are these people clapping and applauding this player returning? That That's what will happen if that situation happens. I, I agree with you. I, I think it will be a mix of boos and claps and probably some people who don't want to do either because they're conflicted with how they feel. That's my good feeling. Yeah. But um, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what that reaction is going to be. Um, yeah. So Miles Bridges will make his return. We will probably have a podcast dropping after the game on the All Hornets Podcast Network uh, about that. Um, you know, looking at everything, trying to break down how he looks, and we'll obviously have the opportunity talk next monday we'll have seen two games the milwaukee game and a, oh yeah we get to play the knicks again that was fun should we get to do that again wasn't it um okay let's move on to part to our main part of the podcast um hornets hot or cold um i've asked you to come up with with one thing that you like one thing that's hot one thing that you do not one thing that's cold i've got the same um chase as always we will start on the positive side of things we will keep Searching for those positives, for those good vibes, for those silver linings. Here's what with your Hornets hot right now. So off to a unquestionably hot start to the season right now. Up until Lamelo had has his struggles had subsided a couple days ago. Gordon Hayward was the best player on this team. I said it in our last podcast. He's still performing very well. He's probably been the second best player to Lamelo over the last week or so. I mean, through nine games so far. Uh, his season averages for the 23-24 season in assists, steals, and blocks would all be career highs on an entire season. He is by far, I think, the second best offensive player as a whole, but easily like scorer and playmaker on the roster right now, apart from Lamelo, obviously, because Terry Rozier is out. That sways the argument a little bit in his favor, probably a little bit easier to slot him in that role. Uh, but he is like one of the only lifelines for Steve Clifford when LaMelo sits or gives the ball up right now. One of the only players that can get to their spot consistently and is a relatively efficient shooter from all three levels of the floor and is like willing to take shots, but is equally willing to create them for their teammates uh, and isn't scared to like take risks and make creative plays or something like that. Uh, I think he's always been a better fit as like a secondary or tertiary playmaker, but he has handled that increased responsibility very well. Um, do you want to know uh Probably the most interesting stat that I found while I was looking up Hayward's numbers for this game. So right now he is averaging 11.7 two-point attempts per game, which would also be a career high for a season. Yeah, I believe that. Throughout the <laughs> whole, yeah, exactly. I know you would. And he's only taking 2.6 threes per game while shooting 39% on those threes. That is like the one thing, the one part of his game that I really – would like to see change so far, that number needs to go up. Like he needs to be much more willing to let it fly from three. There was a, a transition three against the Knicks from the right wing in that first quarter where they actually didn't really play all that bad. Uh, the manual quickly buzzer beater made it seem a little bit worse than it was at the end of the first, yeah. but he caught that right wing three and transition off the catch, just like stepped right into it in rhythm. It was that absolute water. Like there was, it was good as soon as it left his hands. He needs to do that more often. I saw you post a tweet, actually, of a play that he pump faked out of and took the really contested mid-range, which he is good at those mid-range shots. I don't necessarily blame him for wanting to take them, but when those open threes present themselves, he has to let it fly with how good of a shooter that he's been right now. His true shooting percentage right now is only 53.7%, despite being a 17-point game per game scorer and really not being inefficient at all from any level in particular, but the lack of volume from three just kind of drains that a little bit. But what has impressed me the most, the two-way impact. The defensive field goal percentage stat was going around. 
a couple of weeks ago or earlier this week, I think, is 39.5% defensive field goal percentage is 15th among all players who have defended. That's, that's equal... him contesting, right? Just for people. Yes. With, yes. What players being guarded by Gordon Hayward are shooting. What is it? 30. 39.5%. So 15th yeah. among anybody who has defended or contested uh, an equal or greater yeah. number of shots than Hayward, which uh, is 81. There's only like a few percentage points higher than players that are regarded as like the best on-ball perimeter defenders in the league, like Herb Jones, Drew Holiday, Emmanuel Quickly. Like Hayward is in the range with all of pl those players like that right now. And even some like bigs that are mostly like blocking shots and defending shots at the rim and using their length and stuff. Yeah, It's been like one of the most consistent, like high motor players on the team guards, multiple positions defensively green navigation is still excellent. Like it was last year, rarely gets like caught up or caught in the wrong spot or anything, generating the stocks at a high rate as well at the at a career high rate with blocks and steals. Very positive start to the year from Gordon Hayward for me. But honestly, he I think I might've underestimated how much having a healthy summer to work on his game and like get his legs under him actually affected his like, confidence levels and aggressiveness on the court because it seems like he's like really attacking in a way that wasn't necessarily there as often I, I should say in the previous two years with Charlotte well I think he has to because of the injury situation and the role he's finding himself with the team at the minute he, he's having to take the you know take charge a little bit more have the offense play really through him at times I, I've noticed he's really seemed to have mastered more so this year this tippy toe shot fake like I don't know we yes. come up with a name for this where he where like he keeps he, that he, one foot on the ground but oh. his entire body is going up other it's that is so tough like how do you when guard we talk that about, consistently when we talk about athleticism what yes. do you think about jumping dunking that is one of the most athletic moves the fact that you can keep grounded while all your momentum and body movement is heading up that just shows you've got like some unbelievably body unique yeah, yeah, control and core strength, which is all part of athleticism. You know, your stop start, your ability to bounce. Um, you know, and he's used that a few times now to get some really, you know, funky open shots. So again, you you do like to see that, but he used one of those exact fakes on that clip that I posted where he just had a wide open three and then he used the fake into the three to get to the mid-range. Um yeah, I, I sometimes think it's because the coach is preaching paint touches and he doesn't want to take a three if the ball hasn't touched the paint. But like equally, if it's wide open and you're a good enough shooter as you are, and especially with like the injuries they have at the minute and the level of play, the ball might not come back to him. If he drives and kicks, it might not always come back to him. So mm -hmm. he has been good. I, I know like you convinced me last week, right, on the episode. I, I was surprised that he was when you said he'd been the best one as player, then by the end of your point, I kind of got convinced and turned back around that I was like, yeah, you're right. Well, I I listened back to that and I almost kind of start leaning back the other way again because, and this, Gordon Hayward is great in his role, but the problem is in Charlotte, they need more from, for this team to be good, they need like even more from Gordon Hayward. And this is where I just think, like, the role on the team, for what you're you, – he is your max player, right? And he's basically a third option. Kind of, he, not like, anymore, where, technically. Well, I, I think you would due probably to injury. give that candle. To, that's true. That is true. Due to injury. But normally he would be, it would be like Lamelo, Terrozier, and then probably Gordon Hayward. Yeah. Um, and that's where it's like – he was going to be the guy to, to lead this team, the veteran to lead this team, the guy who draws the doubles, kicks it out. And he is playing a role, especially at the time earlier in the year, where he was able to play off people. And there's a lot of people who I think can play better efficient basketball. And he was doing a very good job. But he, was, he wasn't just kind of being given the ball and told to go do it, like he's having to do more so now. And, and as he's struggling a little bit against the Knicks to do so, um, I don't know. I have a I have a fraught relationship with Gordon Hayward. I'm I'm oscillating back and forth week to week, it seems. But look, I, I can't argue with some of the numbers that you you've put forward there. Um he's had a a good start to the season in, in what is whatever it is, his age 34 season. So the fact that he is you know, playing better. Uh, I think 33. he is like almost 34. I think he's gonna be 34 before yeah. the season ends. So so yeah. the fact that he's playing better, you know, a year or two on in the year four of this contract, I don't think probably a lot of people thought he'd be playing at this level in year four. So you have to keep that in perspective too. No, yeah. And that that's the biggest thing to me is if that 
summer that he had to, you know, work on his game, get into game shape and get his wind back and get his legs under him before the preseason started rather than doing it like during the preseason and camp and as the season opened, like I feel like now we're kind of seeing what we saw from him that first year when he was like 50, 40, 90 at like 19, five and five, like in by like January or February before it tailed off a little bit. It's kind of like that because he that was the same deal. Like in, in between that summer from Boston to Charlotte, he was healthy. Like he just worked on his game and he was pretty good. And then he got hurt down the stretch. So now we just need to hope that that doesn't happen again. And maybe we'll did be not getting have that an ankle injury. Of, Didn't he have an ankle injury in the bubble? I thought he had that. I think he did, but I but he he came back from it and like played. He sprained his ankle. Was came in back the too bubble early, and then came back. Yeah, probably too early because Boston. He didn't look I feel great like he then got ruled out again series. after coming back early, or he didn't look himself. He may then, have. Actually, I don't know yeah, if he was fully right. healthy in between. I have a feeling that he was limited in that offseason. Yeah, that's what I probably, Yeah, say. you're probably right then. So that you, another year that we'd be tacking yeah. on back to like 2017 18 was the last time that he wasn't rehabbing an injury. So it does make sense that he looks a bit spry in his big age of 34 years old. The old man Gordon Hayward. I've I've loved his his game this year. That I'm um, I'm glad you brought up that one legged shot fake because I like jumped off of my couch when he got the and one on that yeah. against uh, the Wizards. I I've replayed it like four times. That so was awesome. What other injury prone players should Charlotte go after? Considering we are now turning into Palace Brandon West. Ingram. Yeah, Brand- <laughs> perfect. Let's yeah. trade for Brandon Ingram. Fun fact, um, Brandon Ingram has missed, I think, five more games than Gordon Hayward has over the past three seasons, which is just crazy, like, yeah, the, the how unhealthy he has been for over the last couple of years. It sucks. Otto Porter, should we get Otto Porter in here as yep. well? Like, he can't stay healthy. That's in the, that's in the Robert Williams. Garner, we just saw him the week. Yeah. Yeah, let's, right. Let's just get all the injured players, because that's what we seem to do anyway. Um, yeah. Right. <laughs> okay, moving on to my cold. Uh, I'm going to come in with my cold here. And this is hard for me to say because, Chase, I was forged. My basketball early philosophies in the game were forged through Steve Clifford's coaching. I used to coach basketball in the UK, and I used to take his low turnover transition defense, defensive rebounding approach. And they were my coaching philosophies. He genuinely was who I modeled the coach of when I was in my early 20s. And trust me, I'm the last person, I'm the very last person in the crowd to ever criticize coaching because we don't see 99% of what's going on behind the scenes. Um, And, you know, every single, you can look at the Denver Nuggets last year, they will have had fans who were, criticize Mike Malone for his rotations and who he did and didn't play, right? It's just something that happens. And this has nothing to do with rotations. Um, For me, like, mostly his hands have been tied this year. For me, it's if you look at the statistical profile of this team, there are some extremely, 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 especially for Steve Clifford coach team, worrying signs. So before I get into the details, I mean, this is something I said to you the other week. I said, off air, after you finished, I said, Chase, I'm just mentioning this and locking this away. This team doesn't look very well coached at the minute. And we're now nine games in. I didn't take anything away from that next game, but I feel like we're at the point now where I feel like I, I've there's some stuff here which is not changing, and I feel like it's time I have to share this. And I, I feel wholly uncomfortable doing it because I'm not normally... The and I'm not blaming Steve Clifford for everything. I'm not saying this is all the coach's fault. I'm not Steve saying Steve Clifford needs to be fired right now. What I'm saying is right now this team doesn't look well coached. And I'm going to get into the detail behind it in a minute. But what are your thoughts? Do you think I'm reading too much into everything right now? I don't know if you're reading too much into it. I don't know if I would say myself that. I don't think the team is well coached, but I mean, you're not wrong. Like the trends and the tendencies of this team right now, a don't line up with like modern NBA trends and tendencies at all. Like they Mm -hmm. take the, actually now that I look at it, this must've been updated from yesterday. They take the second fewest threes per game in the NBA. The Lakers are actually the uh, take the fewest threes per game in the NBA right now, but there's never a spot you want to be, especially with a team that has like, 
an elite floor spacer in Lamelo and Terry Rozier when he eventually comes back too and has spot up shooters like used to be elite. We talked about this. Terry Rozier right, not been so elite in the last fair few enough. years. Should yeah, be fair, should fair be enough. elite, but maybe it's yeah, it should be elite with the healthy roster that they had two years ago or whatever. Yeah, we can imagine that anyway. But even now, like their transition defense is absolutely horrible. And on top of like the fact that they just give up a lot of points as a transition defense, when they generate steals, they are 30th in frequency of like when a team steals leads to a transition play. So their steals are not even in like advantageous situations. Often it's coming off of like stripping ball handlers, like underneath the rim and they're not creating like, super high-paced opportunities on the other end. The team really only gets to run, like, off of makes and misses, like, which is just a really, really difficult way to rely on your offense is to force a miss and then push off of it every time. It's A, tiring, and B, relies on the other team missing, which in the NBA and with how skilled players are now is a tough thing to rely on a night in and night out. And on top of that, you're not even giving yourself a chance to be that team that's, you know, making a bunch of shots even though the other team is playing defense because your three-point frequency and is about as low as it could possibly be like it's just it's well i don't think that it's necessarily like steve clifford's messages are incorrect because he said in that post game or i think it was a pre-game interview before the wizards game with eric collins he's like we need to take more threes this is ridiculous he's like there is no reason that we should be taking as few threes as we are right now. We have too many good shooters and you can't win games taking this few threes. Yeah. We need to this take isn't more. Monty Williams and Phoenix where he was like, right. no, we want to take mid-range shots. I want exactly, to, you know, yeah. they're elite. Steve Clifford has said all the right things. Yeah, but it's just not At the end of the day, a, co- a coach's job, like me or you could sit here and say, well, they need to take more threes. <laughs> exactly, coaches, yeah. Right? Coaches need to be able to get their players to execute their instruction. That's what makes elite coaches is you influence, you help people understand and learn. And that's something that's not happened. So what you talked about them not being modern in terms of their their, their shot profile, like you say, 30th in the NBA in three-point attempts, or it, it might be 29th now, like you said. Um, I will say that um, really. <laughs> they, they just 27.9% of their shots were threes. Uh, that was 2.1% below the next team, which was Orlando at 29th. 2.1%, that's the difference between 29th to 23rd. So they are 30th cut away by a mile here. This isn't just that they're, you know, it could be 25th quite easily. They are lagging way behind everything. Um, 30th in three-point shooting, 30% as a team. They are, again, 1.2% behind the next team. I think it's like three or four teams tied in 31.4%. So again, like comfortably in last place. They are third, straight 30th in defense, 122.6 points per 100 possessions. We, you know, we started talking about them being, a, what was their top 10 defense after the All-Star break last year? They are mm-hmm. the worst defense in the NBA with the easiest strength of schedule so far. This three and six record is mirage. They played a hard, harder schedule. They could be like 0 and 10. They've not played well. Probably, I'd say they played well in maybe half a game in that Atlanta Hawks game and then like a quarter here and there. And they've managed to eke out some wins against Indiana, against um, Washington through through good brief spells. They are 28th in free throw rate. So that, that you know, they're conceding 30th in defense. They're fouling everybody. They're, they're turning the ball over. Their transition defense is terrible. 30th in transition defense like you talked about. So this is a Steve Clifford coach team, 30th in transition defense, 30th in defense altogether, 28th in foul free throw rate, putting people in the foul line, 13th in turnovers. These are not Clifford coaching philosophies. This is the type of team that Steve Clifford hates. This is the type of team that Steve Clifford has to be, if he had any hair left, would be pulling out. Now, I can see some people going, well, look at Mark Williams. You know, he's been great. He had the 2020 game. And, and he has been great. But also Mark Williams' success, for me, is almost an indicator of like this team's wider struggles. This team is scoring on the paint all the time because it's all they can do. And it's the only way they can score. And they're getting to Mark Williams all the time. And it's a benefit of the play style. Like, he got how 15 offensive rebounds against the Wizards. 
And a lot of his points came from those and a lot of his rebounds. But that's also because they're, one, missing all their shots. And then, two, because they're trying to offensive rebound, they're not going back in defense. So, like, Mark Williams has had some really positive moments. But equally, I think his success sometimes is coming at the cost of maybe some wider team-style success. And he's having some of his statistics inflated a little bit. Um, they, are, they keep talking about playing fast, how this team is built to play fast. They're 25th in transition frequency. And even when they get in transition, they're only 21st. Lamella Ball has taken eight shot attempts in transition this season and scored once. Lamella Ball is supposed to be a one-man fast break. And yes, I know he drives the pass probably 99% of the time. But he should be taking, you know, trail man threes. He should be going coast to coast, getting to the rim. And that is just not happening. And this goes all the way back to the start of training camp where Steve Clifford said, and he did the same thing last year. He says, what a lot of teams do early is they put in like a lot of defense and offense. What I like to do is we scrimmage. We get up and down because the guys like it. It's good. It's competitive. It's enjoyable. That's great. And it all sounds great. But this team looks like one that has not worked on its, you know, on its defense, on its offense, especially its defensive stuff enough. And I wonder if Steve Clifford could go back in time now and change that. Maybe that is how they used to do it. And he talks about that's how the Van Gundys used to do it. Yeah. Well, are any of the Van Gundys coaching in the NBA right now? No, Steve, they're not. Maybe times have moved on. And actually, we should be focusing on some of the scheme stuff in training camp. And like for me, people should come into the season in good shape. Like Premier League football clubs, they don't coach fitness in the first few weeks of the season. That's like a guarantee. Like that should, if you're a professional, you turn up your fit. Preseason is where you start to build your identity into your team. And this is just not a well-coached team to start the year. Now, I'm not saying it can't get better. They made progress last year throughout the season. Despite the low wins, they made progress. He's shown Steve Clifford teams have generally got better throughout the year. But that needs to start happening quickly. And they don't have the guns right now with the guys available. Because if it doesn't, Steve Clifford is not going to see out this year as head coach. If these trends continue, by the time we get to January, February, I do not see uh, the front office ownership keeping Steve Clifford in, co- in place. That was extremely well said. That was one of the best soliloquies I think we've gotten on this podcast right now but I want to ask you a question James Mm -hmm. LaMelo Ball leads the team in total free throw attempts this year 39 he's made 32 of them so obviously shooting pretty well from the line where do you think that ranks in the entire league among just total free throw attempts for individual players where do you think that ranks in the NBA right now um oh wow uh how many did you say he had this season 39 39 39 in nine games um, 39 in nine games. I mean, it's not a great deal. Uh, 50th? You're very close. 45th. Oh. But still, there is not a single other team that has a player who's leading the team in free throw attempts that low. And when you put that next to the fact that they are leading the league in points in the paint per game, what I, what I think that says, and you brought it up too, the only thing that they can do to get a paint touch is run, pick, and roll, or have Lamelo like use his ball handling and get to the rim, or Hayward like drop his shoulder and work his way in there. Besides that, they have quite literally no way for someone to break down their defender off the dribble, get into the paint, create contact, or you know some sort of collapse, defensive collapse, where you can kick it out, which. It, it, it literally is causing both of their problems. Like they're not shooting threes because when they drive into the paint, it's off of a pick and roll. So the defense only has to really defend that. You just have to like tag the roller, make sure that you're in the right spots to rotate and help and whatnot. And otherwise they're just not getting to the line either. So you are not using getting any sort of production out of the two most efficient shots in basketball yeah. while also like you are getting to the paint you're just not you're not doing it in like the right way like it's it's just it's like you're like almost there and you have the capability to do it but 
the offense, like when it does anything that's not a pick and roll, like the first action, like if they run something in like like horns or whatever, the ball gets to the elbow and it just dies. Like there's no movement, player movement, ball movement, cutting, nothing after that. They like run something like a pistol action from the empty side. Like the guy takes the pitch and comes up off out of the corner and nothing happens. Like they just dribble for a couple seconds or make a non-threatening pass to somebody on the other side of the ball or on the other side of the court. And they just run the same thing. Like there's just no like second level to like anything so far, really. Like if that makes any sense, like it's just like come set a screen, roll to the rim or fade to the three point line. That didn't work. Oh, let me kick the ball over to the next guy. Then someone else can go set a screen for them and they can run it again. And it just goes and goes until you get a bad shot or a turnover or, you know, some pick and roll layup with Mark and Nick, which has worked. But if that's the only thing you can do, you're in a good heap of trouble, which is what we've seen so far with like a, and like the offense, I think is still in the top 12 in offensive rating. That does not match the eye test whatsoever to me like do you think that there are 18 teams in the league that are worse at offense than the hornets right now like i don't like no I think they can and score it, a lot of points because of lamello and hayward kind it's of. only because of the schedule chase if right, they played exactly. good teams they would i'm be telling you they would have all looked like the knicks games yeah like yes. they played the wizards the the nets who are missing all their size the defenders the paces yes. can't go like this is why this is down down to the reason why their offense is so so high when they mm-hmm. come up against a team that can protect the rim, like New York could, you see what happens. This this Detroit team does too. not. Yeah, they do not have the offensive firepower to to score at that level. So it is it is a mirage right now. It is all mirage. The the warning signs. This is why I was like, I said those two Wizards game were must wins because this schedule only gets so much tougher, and you need to fatten up on those wins early and. I said at least the Hornets need to be five and five after ten games for them to be like in playing contention. They are they're going to be at best, they're gonna be four and six. They're probably gonna be three and seven. Um yeah. It is, you know, when they have everybody available, like they ha- then have the players like everyone can dribble, pass, and shoot. When they have everybody available, but they don't have that at the minute. And they don't have a player who can just consistently draw a double that then kind of gets the the defense moving and starts that. Um, Lamella Ball is not a double team drawing type of player right now because he's not he's not the scoring threat. I know he's coming off four thirty point games, but he is not someone that other teams send two players at. They're more than happy to live with Lamella Ball generally under single coverage because they know he'd rather pass the ball most of the time. Um, yeah. So. That was hard to say. I have so much respect for Steve Clifford and the, yeah, the work I that he has done agree. as a coach. But I think he's like, a top ha- ten coach in the league. Like, if if you there's an argument for it, at least it's just not. Well, <laughs> not landing. I don't know right if I made that argument now, but yeah, now cert probably not. But prior uh, yeah. to the last couple of weeks, it's it's just not not landing anymore. Okay, right. Let's pick things back up again. Um, Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's go. I well, know we're not picking things back up. We're going to your cold. Sorry. Okay. We're not. We're, we're keeping in, in the, the basement here. Yeah, we're staying in the basement. Let's do it. Give me your low. Hopefully it can't be as bad as that. All right. So this, I, I mean, it's pretty close because it, it plays into what you said almost directly. The bad for me is just the utter lack of playmaking depth behind Lamella Ball and Gordon Hayward right now. And part of the reason that this is the my cold for the start of the season is that it produces an extremely cold offense and like a team with playoff or at least play in aspirations just can't have only two above average passers or playmakers on the roster. Like right now, as things stand with Terry Rozier and Cody Martin injured, that is pretty much the case. Like I feel like at this point, 
we have we have all established that Brandon Miller is a good playmaker, but he's now probably going to miss some games too and is only averaging one and a half assists to one turnover per game. The output statistically is not there despite the flashes that we've had. And it, the offense as a whole, when anybody other than Gordon Hayward or LaMelo Ball is kind of initiating and making the plays, looks extremely disjointed, very little like secondary action, like I mentioned earlier. Like, and the reason that that happens is because, and this is like, like we, I feel like at this point, we've talked about this exact issue probably on like five to 10 podcasts since the summer, like, or the end of last season. And I don't mean to be a dead horse here, but when something is like an obvious problem that is affecting the quality of play, we, we have to talk about it. That is the cross that we bear as Charlotte Hornets podcasters, especially over the last two seasons. But like the lack of creativity in, or activity, not creativity, in acquiring new players to fill that backup point guard role that was vacated by Dennis Smith Jr.'s departure looks even worse now than it did over the last couple months when we had brought it up being like, hey, that would be really nice if we had somebody to fill this role like in a concrete fashion rather than just kind of piecing it together, hoping well, that you can like, find another Dennis Smith Jr. And even Dennis Smith Jr., like he was a striker look, right? Let's not right. pretend like, that... You Everybody knew Dennis Smith Jr. was going to be what he was going to be. He came in as a tramp. Exactly. A, a tramp. <laughs> he did not come in as a tramp. <laughs> Dennis Smith Jr. came as a training camp invite and essentially made the roster. Um, and we talked about how I think we were okay with letting Dennis Smith Jr. go. This was even before he'd left when we did our free agency preview because at the time we said, this second unit needs shot making and scoring. And Dennis Smith Jr., as good as he is defensively, isn't going to give you that. And they brought in Frank Nilakina, who is, was, you know, he is not a shot creator. He is sometimes a, probably he's a better three-point shooter than Dennis Smith Jr., but he is not probably even as good a scorer, maybe, as Dennis Smith Jr., because he can't attack the rim. He can't create for others quite as well. Um, so they seem to be, continue, like you said, Mitch Kupchak said at the trade deadline last season, it was my mistake. This team was not deep enough. He brought in Brandon Miller. He brought in, another rookie in Nick Smith Jr., which we were surprised at the draft because he always said, this team isn't deep enough and you start taking up roster spots with rookies who don't play. Look, he was the last guy to get on the court just the other night. Um, and that's why I was surprised that they kept that late first round pick in the first place because I thought Charlotte wanted to avoid this exact situation they're in now where they need veteran players to win games to play and they're having to start Teo Maladon in the second half of Madison Square Garden. Right. And Teo Maladon, by the way, is someone you quite literally waited until one of the last moments of the offseason to bring back. The only other true point guard on the roster. And this is on a two-way contract. Like, you do not even have him or didn't even have interest in bringing him back on a guaranteed deal. You are only going to bring him back on essentially, like, a, a deal that keeps him off of the main roster and just puts him as, like, an emergency point guard. And now he is your full-time backup. And suffered that shoulder injury in the preseason and has shot too poorly to take advantage of any of the playmaking or passing flashes he showed last year. Like, and like you said, Nick Smith still getting used to playing in the NBA. And even if they did put him out there and give him that chance, it's a disservice to him to like throw him into the fire out of position for his first ever crack at the end at an NBA rotation. When he's someone that we know needs like development. This is basically like when they played like JT Thor, Vernon Carey, Nick Richards, Jalen McDaniels, like all in the same lineup a couple of years ago because they drafted so many front court players from like 2018 to 2021. And it's like you just like the minutes that these guys do get are extremely sparing. And then when they play like someone like Vernon Carey has to play power forward next to Nick Richards yeah. and JT Thor is like it's the same thing. It's like now Nick Smith has to come in and play point guard next to Amari Bailey and Leaky Black and JT and whoever well, here's Nick a or whoever else do is you out think, there. Like, do you think Nick Smith should be in the rotation? Because that was the big no. goal for the night. You know, that second unit doesn't have enough offense. Maladon can't shoot the ball. If you're gonna play someone off ball anyway, why not let it be Nick Smith Jr.? Do you think that's a valid argument? I think it's it's absolutely a valid argument, but I think I would firmly lean away from that right now just because, like you said, like they need veteran players to win games. Like Nick Smith could definitely have some good games. What is the likelihood that you throw him out there and he consistently improves the level of your team and like impacts winning in a positive way? 
like probably pretty small. Like we've well, seen Brandon Miller has had games Maladon. where you can't even do that. That's the, true, but this is the problem. Is it's it going to be any better? Right? It's the defense because you need someone to be able to guard that. That's you know, yes. That and that's why they'll be playing him. But I I don't know. Like Steve, like we've not seen. Let's not pretend. Anyone watching these games has seen as much of Nick Smith Jr. as Steve Clifford has in training camp, in practice, and shoot round. Like, if he felt he's not just keeping him on the bench for shits and giggles and because he's a rookie, mm -hmm. if he felt Nick Smith Jr. gave him a better chance to play well and win, he would play him. He's not keeping a secret weapon in his back pocket for no reason. Um, so, to that extent, you sometimes almost have to trust that the coach has seen it here. I do wonder if the second unit still struggles to score, whether Steve Clifford actually will turn to Nick Smith Jr. at some point ahead of that Tay Maladon spot, just to say, God, like especially with Brandon Miller out, we can't have like the Leaky Black, JT Thor, Nick Richards lineup with no shooting and scoring. We have to get someone else out there. May maybe we do see it, um, but this is hard. I understand everyone's saying, why not play our first round pick? He is not a point guard. That is the first thing that's very clear in Summer League. He turned the ball over hell a lot in Summer League. He is not ready for that full-time ball handling responsibility. Um, but he does have some shot making, and he probably is maybe like the best natural like scorer left in that second unit. Yeah, I mean, especially if – and this, this pains me to say, especially because it was unprompted, but I feel like we got to bring it up, especially in the – hot and cold or the cold section of this hot and cold podcast, especially if Bryce McGowan's isn't going to shoot the ball at all. And is just going to kind yeah. of stand in the corner. What's happened Nick to Smith him is, in summer league? I, I, it's, it's, I think it's the ankle injury. This is the reason I'm I, not overreacting to Bryce. He was injured for basically all of training camp with the ankle, re-injured it. He is basically probably where you would expect to be in like week two of training camp in the season right now. And that's the only reason I'm not panicking. But I will say like, he didn't look great in summer league. And that was, you know, you try not to buy into that too much, but he is, he was so promising in that rookie year. Are uh, you playing so well in the G league? He even finished, I think the last game of the season, he had a career high in points. Um, and again, talk about a guy who looks like he has not got any positive momentum. He looks like he has regressed, but my only faint of hope with Bryce McGowan's is he is still getting into shape. He's still getting his burst back from the ankle injury and he just looks to me like someone who is still getting to grips after being out a little while. Yeah, I completely agree. He was always going to be somebody that was like an off-ball scoring type anyway, not like a playmaker, which wouldn't necessarily alleviate this issue. But just having him out there to feed off of you know, somebody like Teo Maladon and just give them an option of a shooter and scorer type. But he hasn't even been that so far. So if he's not going to shoot the ball and look extremely hesitant and unwilling to participate in the offense really when he's out there and Teo Maladon is going to struggle to shoot and really do anything other than defend the point of attack. Nick Smith is almost certainly going to get a shot. Like Steve Clifford's given every other young player a shot. I mean, James Booknight got extended run. Kai Jones got into the rotation last year. Like pretty much every young player that has been on the roster in the last two seasons, like Brandon Miller, heavily featured member of the rotation right away. Like Mark Williams, the team was assigning him to the G League. I don't know if that was Steve Clifford's decision, but as soon as he was with the team full-time, he played a lot. Like Nick Smith is going to get that opportunity soon. But like I said, like it's the, the role he'd have to play right now with Terry out anyway, it would be like a disservice to him. Like I don't think it would help his development at all to put him out there and be like, Nick, run offense and be like an efficient playmaker that doesn't turn the ball over and plays defense yeah. on the opposing. You point risk guard killing his confidence. Absolutely, right. you risk killing. Exactly, it's it's not it's not a good thing all the time to just feed minutes to young players. This is the exact situation where you wouldn't want to do that to me. Okay, should we finish on a nice positive note? Yes, let's do it. And this is the most probably the the most important player on the team being good is the most important thing for every NBA team. So at least we have that. We we, we do is. have that. And you this know what's even more important? We're starting at the right point. It's just quite literally everything else after that has not worked out so far. Yeah. And there's only one thing more important, and that is for the listeners to know, that this podcast is brought to you by allhornets.com, a credential Charlotte Hornets outlet powered by Sports Illustrated. 
We are aiming to bring you 360-degree coverage on all things Charlotte Hornets, from breaking news, rumors, fan Q&As, in-depth analysis. Allhornets.com covers it all, and nobody does it better. Make sure you check out our T-shirt online store. It's in the show notes. You'll be able to find uh, everything on there. We've got our quotable T-shirt collection. We've got our All Hornets Podcast Network logo collection, uh, T-shirts, beanies, hoodies, baseball tees, whatever you want, you can go find it on the website. Okay. Moving on to the second best thing in the Charlotte Hornets world, Lamella Ball. Um, we talked a little bit about the start, but over the last four games, 36 minutes, 30 points, seven rebounds, eight assists, 1.3 steals, half a block, 3.3 turnovers, which is a bit higher than you want, four personal fouls, again, a bit higher than you want, but shooting it really efficiently, which isn't something you've always been able to necessarily say with Lamella Ball. 55% from the field, uh, 46% from three, four free throw attempts a game. Um, some quick stats here from the Lamella Ball. He, he's obviously been on an absolute tear, and it's been reassuring that Lamello has showed this because he went from the first four or five games of the season going, oh, this is a bit of a worrying start. He now looks not only back to how he is, but he looks to be the absolutely the, the kind of best he's ever looked. In fact, I checked. He has never, ever had a four-game span of averaging 30 points in his career. The most he's averaged over oh. th- three, uh, over, uh, over four games so far was 27.8 points. So this is literally the best scoring span of Lamella Ball's career to start the season. And he's doing it. Obviously, his three-point shooting is, is looking very good. But some really interesting stats is rim finishing. So this is his shooting percentage on layups. In his rookie season, he shot 90, uh, sorry, uh, 0.91 points per possession on layups. In the next year, it was up to 0.96 points per possession on layups. This year, it was up at 1.18 points per possession on layups. So you're talking about that jump we've seen finishing around the rim. Let's hope it stays here for the whole season. And keep in mind that 1.18 points, that is a career high finishing on layups. That is with as we've discussed, the worst spacing in the NBA. This is like, you know, historical levels of poor spacing. And he's still able to finish at the rim that way. Um, So that's absolutely incredible. The fact that he can be finishing that well at the rim, that efficiently, when this team is shooting that poorly with such little spacing. Um, I think some of this is down to Mark Williams being this elite lob threat. And we've seen some of that connection early on. I think a lot of teams at time aren't sure if Lamelo is going for a shot or is he lobbing it to Mark? Like it's hard to tell because of the way he shoots his layups, it's almost like it could turn into an alley-oop pass and you're not really sure what he's doing. Um, so that's been great to see. Um, on unguarded jump shots, Chase, how many points per possession do you think uh, Lamelo Ball is shooting on unguarded shots? Oh, it's got to be pretty close to two points per possession. I feel like he's making like every open three lately. He's on 2.1 points per possession. <laughs> on that, that is ridiculous. That I've is never like, seen a two on that. No, I know. Ever. Literally anything over like 1.2 points per possession in pretty much every category is really good. Two, being at almost 2.2 is like impossible, dude. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, now, here's the, here's the bad news. On guard of catch and shoots, he's shooting 0.67 points. And this matches the eye test for me. When Lamella is open, you feel really good about it. But because of his form and he kind of shoots it a little bit out in front of him and he needs to be really, I feel like, balanced or not rushed through his shot mechanics, when he's guarded, he struggles to get that shot away. And when he does, he like, often sometimes it's like off one foot, it's fading. You feel like he rushes the shot. Um, and, and again, like if you're talking about the best players in the team, the best players in the NBA, those guys need to be able to be able to score the ball while being guarded, especially if you're not like an elite rim finisher. And Lamelo's made improvements; he's not elite, and that is something that Lamelo needs to figure out how he can score while being guarded. Because when you get into playoff series, it is going to be mono a mono. You know, a guy defending isolation. Can you make a shot? And that is still an area that he does need to improve. Um, defensively, look, the stats aren't flattering to him yet. He looks largely similar to the previous years but the eye test does suggest he is more engaged at times during the game more locked in on the game plan Uh, it's still not consistent but i think there has been 
you know, progress there. Small marginal process, but it's good to see progress. Um, but overall, it's just great, I think, to see Lamella reminding the wider NBA quite how good he is, even if they do continue to choose to ignore him for NBA Player of the Week. Um, I've never been so angry about NBA Player of the Week. It's an award I don't even care about. I don't even really know it exists, but now I'm angry about it. So well done, NBA PR. Right. Like we would never, if Mark honestly wasn't nominated, I don't think this would nearly be as much of a thing. But now we just have something to compare it to, which just makes yeah. it even worse. But yeah, yeah, Lamelo. After those first couple of games, quite literally, is like completely flipped the script. Like the offense with him on the floor right now is basically the only. I mean, I'd, I'd be curious to see what their offensive rating is with him on and off. I haven't checked that, but I would imagine that he's got to be by far like one of the biggest on-off point differentials from when he's on the court to when he sits for their his team's offensive production among point guards in the NBA. Right now, one of the things that I had noticed, and this is definitely something that he was very fond of in the last couple of years, but seems to be drifting away from that. But this is probably partially due to the play style discussion that we had. He's at a what would be a, the third lowest mark of his career, but a full two and a half attempts from three fewer than he would have been at last year it was 10.6. He's only at eight right now. And to this point in the season, he's only taken eight shots from 30 feet or beyond. And I'm not saying he should just be like chucking them up from 30 feet because that is a difficult shot to hit. But that like extremely deep range pull up three is a like you said, most of the time going to be uncontested because you're very far away from the rim. It just requires the guard to be basically picking you up at half court and like playing engaged defense on you the whole time, which is a rare thing to happen unless you've already hit a couple of them in that game. And B it's just going to stretch out the defense even further and allow the other players to actually be able to have some space and take more threes for themselves too. So if that number goes up, I'd be, I think he would be even better like from three right now, have even more volume. The efficiency has also gone back up. Like I think at the beginning of the year, he was at like, like 18% or something like that. Oh, like yeah, now he's, yeah, he's back up to 36% like a week later. It's like, not that it never happened, but if you like just look at the overall numbers, it's basically like it never happened. Like that's that stretch yeah. to start the season. It's so true. It's, it's true. It's pretty crazy how quickly he's turned around. Like the fouling, like you said, is honestly that has always been an issue of his. It's I think at this point, it's something that we're maybe just gonna have to like get used to in a certain way. It's like I don't know if it's ever gonna be like completely ironed out because like his career low for personal fouls per game is 2.7 as a rookie. He's averaged at least three fouls per game every other year, and now he's at 3.9. So almost four fouls per game as the point guard is rare air in terms of how often that you're, you're fouling. Your I kind of right wonder there, but... if the team was good that he would foul less. And this I, that I think is certainly... Because I, I think a good portion a good of these are frustration... It's like when the team is getting blown out and you the team want to show fight, he kind of like fouls people rather than letting like an easy layup. And this is something I've noticed wider. This when this team when teams start to play physically and bully them, this team has no way to respond other than just like fouling the shit out of the other team. Yes. Yeah. They they can't do it within the confines and the rules of the game. And the, you know, I see fans get furious about it. Um, but yeah, it's definitely something I've noticed. Um, Lamella Ball, uh, offense on the court is actually only plus 2.5. Uh, more worryingly, this year, uh, defense, when he is uh, on the when he's off the court, they're nine points better off in defense. So that is a that is not great. Um, so again, I think some of these noisy stats, because he's been, like you say, so volatile in those first in those basically first five games compared to these last four games. Um, it's been a it's been a real a real strange start for Lamelo, but look, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle for Lamelo Ball. I don't expect him to be playing the way he has the last four games for the rest of the year. If he does, he's an unquestionable All Star, and he's taking the jump. I just don't think that's realistic to to take into account. I think he's probably going to fall somewhere in the middle of where he started and where he is right now. Yeah, I agree. Especially the 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 quality of play that's surrounding him right now. I mean, that Knicks game we said it earlier. He was playing by himself like there was yeah. not a single player that was having a good game other than him really and anybody that was scoring was essentially doing it as a result of Lamelo creating a shot for them so 
the more often he has to do that, unfortunately, the more those numbers are probably going to go back down. But I mean, for now, it doesn't seem to matter all that much. So if we can just get like another couple months out of this, we're sitting January 13th and LaMelo is still at the around the same season averages. This is very well could be his second all-star campaign in only his you never know. Season, so. He might even get nominated for NBA player of the week. Maybe, just maybe, if we're lucky. Maybe yeah. if we're lucky. I, I won't count on it. It's a prestigious award that clearly a lot of thought and research goes into, but I don't know. Maybe someday. We can dream. We can dream. All right, Chase, anything else for listeners here? Should we wrap it up? I think we can wrap it up here. It's been a, a long week, I can imagine, for any yeah. of our... We, look, we could have come on here and talked about games. injuries for 30 minutes. Right. There's no point in doing that. Um, let's try and focus some of the other stuff. Look, I, I still think, you know, Steve Clifford will point to, well, can I just coach my, like a team when I have everyone available, please, before you start to judge me? And I understand that. I still think we've seen enough with the small sample size when certain people are healthy that there are still flaws within the whole thing. Um, but I'm still interested to see this team when they do get everybody together. Miles Bridges will be back soon. Brandon Miller should be back soon. Maybe Terry Rozier too. Heck, James Bucknight even might get activated soon. Mm-hmm. So clear, clear we, for we basketball might, activities. Yeah, we might start to see some resemblance of interesting basketball. But look, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, so strap in and let's hope over the next couple of weeks we can start to see some more interesting basketball for maybe the I think the 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 latter seventy five percent of the season I think will be more interesting than the first twenty five percent. All right. Let's get out of here. Thank you for listening to All Hornets Podcast Network, and we will catch you next Tuesday. Thanks for listening, everybody.